0: Luke chapter 11, the Bible says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. Now, I don't know if you could ask a better individual to teach you to pray than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Andrew Murray has a book. He's an old uh, writer. He wasn't even a Baptist. I, I believe he was Anglican. But back in those days when Andrew Murray lived, Anglicans even had some principle about him. And they, they had some marks of their theology that wasn't right. But anyways, I, off on a little rabbit trail there, but I will say this. He wrote a book called With Christ in the School of Prayer. And that'd be a good school to go to. I recommend enrolling. And that's what these fellows are doing. They're trying to enroll in that school. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. And it's not, it's not just a couple of chapters before this. I, I don't remember exactly where it's at, but the, but the Bible said here, right here in the book of Luke, it said, and the Lord, he, he separated himself from the people and went up into a mountains to pray and he tarried there all night. Now, somebody that's got that kind of experience praying, they probably know what they're doing. Of course, if it was me or you, maybe we'd just frame it around. But the Lord knew how to pray and he knew how to get an answer And you go a little bit further in the book of Luke. I I read this also today. Uh, You go a little bit further in the book of Luke, and the Lord gets up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the Bible said while he was praying, while he prayed, the disciples were sleeping, which is what a lot of us like to do while we say we're praying. Lord, I pray. That's not quite praying. But that's what the disciples were doing. And when the Lord started praying, the Bible said that the countenance, his countenance was changed. And don't you know that that's true about me and you? When we get engaged in prayer, there's something about us that changes. We're not in a glorified state or anything like that, but I believe that's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. So let me get back to this. The Bible says, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, Jesus, pray. Who do you reckon that was that asked him that question? I never thought about that until just now reading it, but who do you reckon it was that asked him that question? Which disciple? You remember when they was at the, in the upper room before the Lord went to be crucified and the Lord was looking around at all 12 of the disciples, Judas was there, and he said, hey, one of you this night is going to betray me. And all of them stood around and said, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? And Peter nudged John and said, ask him who it is. And the Bible said that John said, Lord, who is it? Lord, teach us to pray. I wonder if that was John. I, I don't know. I just thought about that reading it. But that, that's a good question. And if it was John, that'd be a good fellow to study. The thing, one of the things that struck, struck me about this passage, this particular passage that we're going to look at here this evening, Luke chapter 11, one of the things that's, that strikes me about this statement is they say, Lord, teach us to pray. They don't say, Lord, teach us how to pray. They say, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, if I, if I came to you, I know Brother Tommy cuts grass, and uh, Brother Clint, you know, works down there in Fernandina or Yulee, somewhere down in there. But he works on cars, and Brother Curtis does, does, just does about anything that he can get his hands on. And some, Brother, uh, Brother Chris uh, messes around with trash and now tells people what to do, and that's a great blessing. But if I came, if, if I came to Brother Clint and I said, Brother Clint, teach me how to work on cars, Now that puts something in your mind, doesn't it? And then I turned around and let's erase that and let's say I came to Brother Clint and I said, Brother Clint, teach me to work on cars. That's a little bit different of a statement, is it not? Now, I I point that out because when you say teach me to, well, that often includes how to do something, which is what the Lord deals with later here in the passage. He goes on and he tells them, hey, when you pray, This is what you say. But teaching somebody to do something is a little bit different than teaching them how to do it. And I don't want to just know how to pray. I want to know to do it. I I want to be uh, teaching somebody how to do something is what a boss man does with his employee. But teaching somebody to do something is what a father does with a son. That's the development of character. That's the development of principle. That's the development. Uh, let me say. It, let me put it this way: uh, the reason that a lot of people don't pray, I believe, is because they don't know how. But when you learn how to pray, when you learn how to pray, there becomes a measure. There comes a measure of success in praying, and then when you get successful at it, you enjoy it. Uh, The thing that keeps you fellas motivated at working your job is the thing that comes on Friday, either every week or every two weeks or maybe if you're in really bad shape once a month, but at some point you get some green stuff and it's usually in the form of a check, but you get to deposit that in your bank and you get to spend that on food or toys or whatever. Your wife spends it for you. I don't know how things work at your house, but I know this, that that's, that's what keeps you motivated. It's the reward that's attached at the end, right? Well, the reason that a lot of people, I I believe this with all of my heart, I know it's true in my own life, the reason that a lot of people lose vigor when they pray is because they, they don't have as much success as they'd like to see. And some of that's because I believe with all of my heart that people don't know how to pray. And there's a lot of things that I could say about that, especially from this text. There's a lot of things that we could draw out as lessons from Luke chapter 11 as far as how you should pray. We'll touch on some of those things. But tonight, really, what I want to talk about specifically is your attitude, your your avenue of approach. How do you approach the Lord when you begin to pray? And we'll try to make that a little bit more apparent as we get going here. But look what he says in verse 2. Well, back in verse 1, he said, They say, Lord, teach, or he says, whoever asked him said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, Jesus Christ now speaking, he said, When ye pray, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in, earth, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, there's a lot of education right there in those couple of verses as far as what a good prayer Contains, He says, our Father, which art in heaven. I, this is not the subject, but let me just briefly touch on these things very quickly. Our Father, which art in heaven. He makes a couple of statements there. He says, first of all, he addresses him as Father. Uh, you, When you pray, you should acknowledge the relationship that you have with God. That would be a good thing to do. But you should also recognize the fact that it's not just your relationship with God. There's some other people that have that same relationship with the Lord. Uh, When when you pray, when you you pray, don't forget that you've got brothers and sisters that have a relationship with that same God that you're praying to. That's a great blessing. And he says, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That word hallowed deals with holiness. And that's something that you don't really hear much emphasized anymore because people are trying to get away from that as quickly as possible. People don't want to come up. It's the, it's the fleshly nature. It's natural tendency. People don't want to come up to God's holiness. They want to bring God's holiness down to their fleshliness. Yes, sir. And that, that's what makes straight preaching so valuable. That's what makes people of principle so valuable. Yes, sir. Hey, when you get around some people that are filled with principle, one of the things that you notice about them is that they don't excuse foolishness or sinfulness or wickedness even if they themselves are guilty of it. Hey, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, every man, every man is quick to proclaim his own goodness. But in that same verse, he says, but a faithful man who can find. The faithful guy is the guy who will speak the truth even when it reflects negatively on himself. Hey, it's wrong to do this. Well, hey, you're guilty of that. Well, it's still wrong. That's just all there is to it. And you've got to keep that mindset when you approach the Lord in prayer. We'll touch on that a little bit more here in a second. He said, thy kingdom come. Hey, be praying for the Lord to come back. Keep your heart set on what's coming in the future. We touched on that on Sunday. Thy will be done. Hey, that's a good prayer. You know what most of our prayers is? My will be done. God God do for me. Lord, I'd like to do this. Most people approach the Lord like he's Santa Claus. Yes, sir. They approach him like he's the Dover down slot machine. We're going to go to the casino tonight. Like good Baptists, we're going to put in a couple of quarters. You know, you know there's profession Christians that play, that they, they gamble. Or, uh, they may not go to the Dover Down slot machine, but they'll run right down there to Circle K. Uh, give me uh, big ball number five or whatever. <laughs> all right. I ain't never looked at them. I ain't got enough money to play the lottery. That's poor man's tax is all that is. You're not going to win. I must be where I need to be because it got real quiet there. But anyways, I hope you're not wasting your money on that. Find something else to waste your money on. Amen. Buy you a four-wheeler or something. Amen. Amen. What you ladies do, I don't know. Uh, From the sounds of Sunday, maybe y'all need to buy you a sewing machine. I'm going to keep hitting that until y'all get right with God, you bunch of lazy ladies. I'm just kidding. But look look back here. Yes, sir. He said, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Lord, it's your will. It's your will. And he says, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. And then give us day by day our daily bread. Hey, pray for what you need. Pray for what you need. And he says, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. Now, it's hard to pray that if you really ain't doing it. Hey, listen to me. One thing that'll help you, one thing that'll really help you, it'll put you under conviction first, and then it'll help you if you'll pay attention to it, is remembering that when you get down on your knees and say, God, I messed up here, just remember who messed up against you. And before you get ready to ask the Lord to forgive you, just ask yourself, are you ready to forgive that one? Now, listen. Listen. I, I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. Uh, in order for you to get forgiveness from God, you've got to ask for it, don't you? Okay, well, some people, they're, they're, not, they're not sorry that they've offended you. And you just have to take that as it is. If they're not sorry, then I guess you can't offer much forgiveness. Hey, forgiveness is only available to you from the Lord if you ask for it. The price has been paid. Everything's been made necessary. But some people's not afraid. They're not. They're not sorry for what for how they've offended the Lord. And it's that same way with you. But I will say, you better be ready. You got to be ready. Somebody offends you, and somebody does you wrong. So you think you got to be ready. And I will say this: This is not part of the sermon, but this is really good. I've been chewing on this for about two weeks now. Uh, You're not going to be ready to forgive. If you think that however you've been offended, you didn't deserve it. Yes, sir. When you get to the place to where you, somebody does you wrong, and you think, well, I can't believe they did that to me. The only reason you think that is because you think you're better than deserving that. And I just tell you, I just tell you, you deserved it. So, Brother Nathan, you don't know the situation. You're right, I don't. I'm not reading your mind. Uh, I'm not like Joseph. He told his brothers, didn't you know such a one as I can divine? I can't do that. I can't look into the future. I can't look into your past. But I can tell you this, you deserve a lot worse than what you got. Yes. Yes, sir. And if you take that attitude, hey, if you take that attitude, it'll be a lot easier for you when somebody comes to you with their head hung low and their tail tucked between their legs, so to speak, and they say, hey, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? Oh, absolutely. What's in the heart of that kind of guy? Well, what's in the heart of that kind of guy is that same fella has had to hang his head real low and tuck his tail between his legs a time or two. More than that. And he's had to make his way back home to the father's house and say, Lord, I messed that up real bad. And the Lord said, yes, you did, you knothead. But I forgive you. Yes, sir. Absolutely. That'll help you. It'll help you with that forgiveness. Amen. Amen. Hey, man, that, that's, that's a good attitude. Uh, hey, listen, let me tell you this. You remember David? You think David deserved for somebody to come out and curse him? David thought he did. Oh, came out there when Absalom, his boy, was taking over his kingdom unjustifiably. Unjustifiably. Absalom was a, Absalom was a cheat, he was a swindler, his con man. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He's wrong. He's dead wrong. David was a man after God's own heart. God never said that about any other man. We'll look at that, Lord willing, in a couple of weeks. I say we will. I got a sermon back there on it. Boy, that's a, it's a good thought. David was a great man. David was a great man. But Shimei comes out, hey, God's going to bring back on you all of this stuff that you've meted out to Saul and his house because you took his kingdom. And Abishai, one of David's best friends, got over there with David and said, Let me go take his head off. And David said, What have I got to do with you sons of Zariah? That's a sister. What have I got to do with you boys? He said, Maybe God, maybe God, maybe God told him to curse me. He said, Brother Nation, you really think David believed that? I don't know if he believed that or not. I know that's what he said. And I tell you this that'd be a good attitude for me and you to take when somebody starts cursing us. Very difficult, very difficult to let your guard down when somebody starts saying evil things about you. It's very difficult, very difficult not to get defensive. But maybe the Lord told them to do it. You say, Brother Nathan, it's not right. I know. You say, Brother Nathan, God's going to judge him for that. I know, but you can't have that attitude. That's tough. That's really tough. Hey, if somebody badmouths Brother Curtis, I should be one of the first ones to jump up there and say, Hey, shut your mouth. If somebody badmouths Brother Tommy, hey, shut your mouth. If somebody badmouths me, let it roll. Yeah. That's the attitude. That's the attitude. Maybe God told him to curse me. That's tough. Yes, sir. <clears throat> Where was I at? Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That 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 those are some of the things that make up a good prayer. Those are some of the things that make up a good prayer. Now, when he says he says, when you pray, say this is this is not some people will throw off on Catholics because, you know, the Catholics, if you've ever been to a Catholic church or a Protestant church, they often teach their kids and their congregants to memorize this and to actually pray it as a prayer. And I don't necessarily recommend doing that, but I will say this before you throw off on a Catholic for quoting that as a prayer. Can you quote it? And if you can't, It'd be something good for you to quote. It's much better than quoting the MLB stats. Major League Baseball, uh, probably not many baseball fans in here. Uh, college football, you know, we, we Baptists in the South. We don't mess around with NFL because we don't like these wimps that don't kneel, or, or do kneel, rather. So we pay attention to college football, and boy, we know everything, know everything about a, a college football fan. I know nothing about college football except Tim Tebow had John 316. You say, how would you know about that? From church folks, because they thought he was the greatest thing. I mean, he had John 3.16, and he played for the Florida Gators. I mean, he must be right with God. I know we got some Georgia fans in here, but that's the way people think. Anyways, that's a different sermon for a different time. But people got all that stuff memorized. Well, let me ask you something. Can you quote, can you throw throw that out there? The, The Lord's Prayer, as it's commonly called, it's your prayer. I think we understand that by now. Can you quote that? That'd be something good for you to quote. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, for thine is the kingdom, the honor, the power, and the glory forever. I probably got that messed up. Amen. That's out of Matthew chapter 6. That's the other corollary passage to Luke chapter 11. Can you quote it? It'd be good for you to quote it. But the Lord is not telling you to pray it in the sense of repetition. As uh, a matter of fact, I don't mention it. Let's look over there very quickly. I try not to drag this out, I, I, I promise. But uh, famous last words of a preacher. Matthew chapter 6, look look with me very quickly. In Matthew chapter 6 verse 9, he tells them. that That's the... Uh, passage that i just tried to quote to you i don't know if i got it word for word but i think i got it pretty close but that's the passage that that is there that's the same thing as in luke chapter 11 but look up in verse 5 he said when thou prayest thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men verily i say unto you they have their reward these guys when they pray they're just praying for recognition uh, have you ever run into somebody? Maybe you've done this yourself. When you prayed, you wasn't talking to the Lord. You was talking to everybody else that was listening. Preachers do that sometimes. They use public prayer time as an opportunity to preach. Somebody went to a preacher one time and they said, man, that was the worst prayer I've ever heard anybody pray in public. He said, that's okay. I wasn't talking to you anyhow. And that's true. That's true. Yes, sir. You're not praying to make a show. But thou, when when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. See, he's dealing with the attitude, with the heart of prayer. When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. He didn't say don't repeat yourself. He said use not vain repetitions. Prayer is not a chant. It's not a chant. Listen to me. Listen to me. There is nothing. Please understand this. There is nothing magical about your prayers. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been. I told you I've been listening to this fellow J. C. Ryle, and he's a Church of England preacher. Uh, lived back in the around the turn of the. Uh, 19th century. But anyways, he, he, was, he was preaching and he, apparently the Church of England, which is common with a lot of Protestant denominations, they provide what they call prayer books. And they do that for various reasons. I suppose partly to teach people how to pray, what to say when they pray. Some of it's to teach people theology. But a lot of people will take that kind of mentality and they use it. They, they use that kind of stuff like prayer is some magical chant. If I'll say the right words, then God's going to just open up the windows of heaven and pour out everything that I want. Well, you've got to get that out of your mind because God is not a genie in a bottle. Your, your name's not Aladdin. That stuff is only true at Walt Disney World where everybody smiles. Nobody ever gets upset. And where kids get abused. But anyways, <clears throat> yes, sir. See, that's the kind of dream world, unfortunately, that Christians live in. You think I just threw that in there as a pot shot at Disney World? No, I'm telling you, that's the kind of dream world that Christians live in. I'm going to say these magical words and somehow God is going to get to a place to where he's just going to give me everything that I want. It don't work that way. It's not a chant. We're not Buddhists. Uh, we got a song in our in our hymn book, and I think I told Brother Tommy when I first took the church, "Don't ever sing, don't ever sing that song." And the song is uh, "Just a Little Talk with Jesus." And you know why I told him not to sing that song? Why? Hey, don't just don't even pick that out. I told him not to sing that because in that song it says, "Hear a little prayer wheel turning." You know what a prayer wheel is? That's something that they use in Buddhism. It's an actual instrument, an item that they use. That somehow they go through their religious rigmarole. I don't know what was intended by the guy who wrote it, but that's crazy. Not interested in bringing that in here. (laughs) Prayer prayer is not—it's not—it's not a chant. It's something that's heartfelt. I said it on Sunday night talking about Hannah praying. The Bible talks about in the book of Psalms. David, I believe it was, it, it was, he said this. He said, pour out your heart before him. And I can't think of a better way to describe praying. Right prayer. It's pouring out your heart. Pour out everything until you don't have anything left. Yes, sir. He said, when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. What you gonna do? Wear God down? You are gonna talk so much that it, I tap out? I'll give you whatever you want. Just leave me alone. Well, there's an element of that in Luke chapter 11. We'll get to that here in just a second. But you're not gonna wear the Lord down. The Lord's looking for something heartfelt. The Lord's looking for something sincere. Well, look look back in 11, Luke chapter 11. Let me get on with this and don't try not to drag this out too much. I, I made the the comment that. Uh, it's not a repetitious thing. When he says, "When ye pray, say," he's not telling you what words to say. He's telling you, "Look, this is a this is the model. These are the things that you should talk about. These are the things that you should pray." Now, when he gets to verse five, he kind of changes it a little bit, and he begins to talk about what's driving. Prayer And look at this, this is really what I want to show you here this evening if the Lord will help me. Verse 5 he said, and he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall say unto him at midnight and shall go unto him at midnight rather and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves for I have a friend of mine and his journey is come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he shall say from with and he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. Now, in this particular situation, he tells them this story. This guy who's on the inside of the house and he's in bed with his children, he's got some difficulties that this other fella has to overcome in order to get an answer to his prayer, if you will. The difficulties are the inconvenient time. I would not appreciate it if you came to my house at three o'clock in the morning asking me for three loaves of bread. I would tell you, you'd have to wait until seven o'clock until Harvey's opens up. Leave me alone. You're taking a risk of getting shot. I I guess I'd tell you how many friends I really got. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, nobody has ever come to my house asking me for bread. I guess maybe that means I ain't got no friends. Y'all come to my house tonight asking me for bread, I'm gonna be mad. Well, you see, it's an inconvenient time. And then the other challenge that this guy who's praying, the other challenge that he has to overcome is the personal comfort of the man inside. If this guy on the inside is going to help this guy who's asking for this bread to feed to his friend who's in a journey, if this guy's going to get this man to answer his prayer, the guy inside has to be put off in a situation that's very uncomfortable for himself. You know what it's going to require? It's going to require some grace. Well, I think you can get the picture of who you're dealing with. The man who's praying is supposed to be you, and the man who's inside the door is is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's God the Father, if you will. He says, well, trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend. See, he's not going to get out of bed just because they're buddies. But yet because of his importunity, He will rise and give him as many as he needeth. I looked up that word importunity. I I have an idea what that means. That's earnest asking. Pleading with somebody. But I looked it up in a thesaurus. That's something that tells you synonyms, words that's similar. And uh, one of the words is nagging. (laughs) That's right. This guy's on the outside. Hey, I need three loaves of bread. Hey, I need three loaves of bread. Hey, I need three loaves of bread. Hey, I need—I still need some bread. Well, after a while, the guy's going to give him what he needs, give him what he's asking for, not because they're buddies, but because the guy just won't leave him alone. Hey, all right, give you three loaves of bread, take it back to your buddy, and I don't want to see you until tomorrow at noon. You done kept me up all night. I got to get some rest. Uh, you know you ain't going to get no rest if your kids is in bed with you. But here's this fella. Here's what I'm trying to get across to you tonight. Here's the point. Here's a man, they're friends, but that doesn't overcome anything. It doesn't overcome the challenges. You know, the attitude that a lot of people have when they approach the Lord is that me and God, please don't say amen to this as though you agree with it because it's not true. The attitude that a lot of people have with God is that me and God are buddies, we're friends. There's a man, a uh, country music singer. Uh, I'll tell you how I know about it here in just a second. But there's a country music singer. His name's Josh Turner. And I've been told that I sound like Josh Turner when I talk. And I, I could care less because whatever. But Josh Turner has a song I think I've told, told you about it before. It's a song called Me and God. And it's a song that goes on. I looked up the lyrics today for just for the purpose of this sermon. Uh, but it's something along the lines of, uh, staying up late, talking talking all night, me and God, and, you know, going to get up early in the morning, me and God, two peas in a pod, me and God. You say, that's a little bit silly, Brother Nathan. No, it's not silly. It's stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's dumb. Yeah. It's, I'm going to say the R word. It's retarded. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, if you think that if you approach the Lord with that kind of mindset, I'm telling you, I'm not asking, I'm not suggesting. If you approach the Lord with that kind of mindset, that's why you don't get no prayers answered. God's not your buddy. He's not my buddy. You say, well, Brother Nathan, the Bible says that Abraham was the friend of God. That's true. It says that in the book of James. You know who never said that about Abraham? Abraham. Hold your place in Luke chapter 11. Look with me in Genesis chapter 11 or Genesis chapter 18, not 11. I got Luke on my mind. Genesis chapter 18. Let me show you Abraham's attitude towards the Lord. Genesis 18 is where he sees these three men coming in the distance, and he recognizes one of them. He recognizes one of them as the Lord. And so he he sends his servants, hey, go kill a fatted calf. You know, get ready. Let's put on meat for these folks. And... In Genesis 18:16, verse 16, the men rose up from thence and looked toward Sodom and Abraham, went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of him. And the Lord said, he telling Abraham, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done it altogether according to the cry of it which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. Now, what you got in the next couple of verses, in the next several verses through the end of the chapter, is Abraham pleading with the Lord about, hey, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, because Abraham has something down in Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a nephew, Lot. Now, Lot wasn't right. But Abraham still loved him. Yes, sir. It's funny to me how that the Lord never told Abraham, I'm going down there to burn it to the ground. He never told him that. You know what he told him? He said, I'm going down there to check out and see if it's really as bad as I'm hearing that it is. And if it is, I'll know. And Abraham immediately begins to plead with God, Hey, If you find 50 people down there that's righteous, would you still destroy it? Abraham, God never said that he was going to destroy it, but Abraham knew. I believe with all my heart, Abraham was the friend of God. I believe God could say that about Abraham, but Abraham never said that about himself. Look at what he says. Verse 23, Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty and fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked that be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Boy, he's really pouring it on him, ain't he? Hey, one of the things, this is a good illustration of a man that's praying. One of the things that you should learn as quickly as you can is that though it seems like God's got his mind made up, there are some times where you can change the Lord's mind. God was was fully bent on sending you to hell. You deserved it. And you know you know what happened some man came along or some lady came along, passed you a gospel track or witnessed to you about the Lord, and your heart broke, maybe out of fear, maybe out of love for what Christ did for you at Calvary, and you dropped to your knees and said, "God, God, I deserve it. Would you be merciful?" And God changed his mind. God getting ready to kill David's baby that's born out of adultery. David goes in there, falls on his face. God, please, please be merciful. God still killed that baby. Servants came by. You know the story. Servants came by. Hey, when the baby was sick, you was fasting. Now that the baby's dead, you eating. What's up with that? He said, well, how, how, how can you tell? How can you know whether God would be gracious or not? Don't hurt to ask. That's an abbreviated version, but that's exactly what David was saying. Hey, there's sometimes it seems like God's got his mind made up. Why don't you put some, and I mean this in the most reverential way that I possibly can, why don't you put some pressure on him? Hey, put some pressure on the Lord. Isaiah comes into Hezekiah one day and he says, God said you're getting ready to die, put your house in order. You don't have very long to live. He turns around and walks out. You know what Hezekiah does? Hezekiah doesn't lay there on his back while he's sick and tears rolling down his eyes and say, I just can't believe God would do this to me. Hezekiah was a good king. But he didn't suck his thumb. You know what he did? The Bible said he turned his face to the wall. And he said, God, I just ask that you remember how I've tried to honor you in my life. I've tried to order this kingdom the way that you wanted me to order it according to the law of David or the law of Moses. And before Isaiah got out of the court, the courtyard, God tapped Isaiah on the shoulder and said, go back there and tell him I'll give him 14 more years. And tell him, I said, to pick his sign. He wants confirmation that I'm going to give him 14 more years? Tell him to pick his sign. Does he want the sundial to go up a certain amount of degrees or does he want it to go back a certain amount of degrees? Hezekiah said, it's a light thing for the dial to go forward. Let's take it back. God took the whole world and turned it backwards. Just to show is just to show that king who prayed i've answered I give you fourteen more years I, I striking that God is that interested in being pled with and being spoken to see we get the we get the mindset we get the mindset you know that it's not a ritual you know that it's not a chant, but going through the daily emotions if you pray, you sit get down on your knees and all right, one more time, here we go, going to pray for, you know, about these things or pray for this amount of time. And listen, if you're not, start, start today. start tonight, when you get home, shut the door, get in a closet somewhere, and start tonight. But here you go, you started and you got rolling, and here we go again. and it just becomes routine. It's not a chant, you know, you're talking to God that's in heaven, but it's a routine. And that's a God on the other end of of that line, if I may so speak. That's a God on the other side that is really looking for you to wrestle with him. Yes, sir. That be far from thee, verse 25, Abraham speaking. That be far from thee, well, verse 26. And the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, behold... I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure, perhaps is what that word peradventure means. Peradventure, there be, there shall lack five of the 50 righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And he said, if I find there 40 and five, I will not destroy. You know what Abraham's attitude towards himself as far as his relationship with God was? I'm dust and ashes. God, I don't deserve to even be talking to you. I'm dust and ashes. But would you just hear me out and let me ask you one more thing? And Abraham does that continually until he whittles it down to ten people. God let him deal with him and God let him deal with him. God is allowing Abraham to entreat him. God is allowing Abraham to plead with him. Uh, We was up at Brother Allen's up there for this last trip, for this wedding and this ladies meeting. And Brother Allen was, uh, we stayed at Brother Allen's house. And uh, Brother Allen was talking about King Charles, if I've got his title correct, you know, King Charles just made king over in England, and he was talking about, I guess some people are really having a minor fit with King Charles because King Charles knows how to be a king, and I guess apparently King Charles had some something set on the table, and he didn't want to move it himself, and so he just went like this, and one of the butlers came by and grabbed it and moved it for him. You say, Brother Nathan, that's silly, but that's what kings do. Now, you, you think that's silly because you know he's a man just like you are, and you're an American, and we fought in 16, uh, 1776 to get out from underneath that kind of foolishness, but that's what kings do. Listen to me. When you approach God, that's who you're approaching. You say, Brother Nathan, I'm approaching my heavenly Father. Listen, the only reason... The only reason that you can call God your father is because of a high price that was paid on your behalf. That's it. You're not calling God your maker. You're not calling him father because you're buddies. Uh, this guy got on YouTube I wish I could remember his name because I'd call his name because he's a fool. But he got on YouTube and started talking about, you know, uh, some of you don't have mamas and daddies. And so, you know, God saved you and now you can call God dad. That's ridiculous. That's stupid. I, I am not my child's maker. God is my child's maker. See, it's not just limited. Your relationship with God is not just limited to father. He's your maker. He's your judge. He's your judge. He's your judge. He's your judge. When you get out on your knees, it's a high privilege to be able to say, Father, yes, sir. That kind of stuff just gets rolled over in a church service. And I I understand. I'm right there with you. But it just gets rolled over in a church service. You just take it for granted because for the last however long you've been in church, that's what you've heard people say. Father, Heavenly Father, Our Father. Just don't think nothing about it. Do you realize the price that had to be paid for that? Take your Bible and look in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. It's a weighty thing. It's a weighty thing. This ability to be able to pray. It's a weighty thing. I've heard some fellows say. I've heard some fellows say, and maybe they meant well. I try not to give people too hard of a time, especially if they just got saved, you know, in the last three months or something like that. But you know, they make statements like, "Well, you know, when I pray, I just talk to God like He's there with me in the room." Listen, if God's there with you in the room, you should be hiding under the carpet. Yes, sir. He said Brother Nathan, I think you got the wrong idea about God. No, no. I know that you have the wrong idea about God. He said, but Brother Nathan, I'm saved. I understand, but it's a great price. Look here in Hebrews 4 and look in verse 16. Well, look at verse 15. Uh, 14. Oh, there's 13. We'll get here in just a second. I mean, I have to turn the page back to look anymore. But verse 13, Neither is there any creature that's not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto him, uh, unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Uh, the word "meddle" in Webster's Dictionary, is defined with that phrase, we have to do. You're, when, when you're, you're meddling with God. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And he said, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hey, listen. Have you thought about the fact that when you bowed your head this morning and asked the Lord to bless your breakfast or to bless your lunch, that God that you're asking for his blessing, he knows the thoughts that you think in your bedchamber? That's a little bit intimidating. God knows. God knows. And the fact that you're not dead is not a testament of God justifying you. It's a testament of God's grace. Yes, sir. Seeing then we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, because of these things, let us therefore Come boldly unto the throne of grace that we, may help, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. You know how a lot of people translate that term boldness? They translate it as carelessness. But boldness is not carelessness. Uh, listen, if King Charles was here, you, you thumb your nose at him if you want to because he's in, he's in England and you're in America. But I guarantee if King Charles was here with all his pomp and circumstance, you'd give him, a, you'd give him some bit of honor. Might be little. I don't know. I don't know you as far as the way that you'd process those things. But you'd give him some honor. Hey, that's a guy who's supposedly the king of a country. You'd give him some kind of honor. You'd get. You'd pay attention to him at least a little bit. I know if Donald Trump made his way through here, you'd snap to attention. You'd at least stand upright. And as you should. He's a president. Or former president. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That, that boldness is not carelessness. You know what the term boldness implies? It implies resistance. When Peter, James, and John got out, or Peter and John got out there in Acts chapter 4 and they're preaching, the Bible said God filled them with the Spirit and God gave them boldness to preach. Well, what did they need boldness for? Because they were meeting with heavy resistance from the Pharisees. When you get out on your knees, when you, a sinner, get out on your knees, there's some resistance that comes from the person that you're praying to. You say, what do you mean, Brother Nathan? I'm saved. I understand. It's God's holiness. You're not. you holy? Oh, you're not holy. Neither am I. Well, there's some resistance that comes because of that. Well, God had to go through a large process, if you will, of sending his son to die for your sins and paying that price so that now you have the ability to come to God, not with carelessness, not with frivolity, not with a, a loose attitude, but with boldness. Hey, I can get out on my knees and I can address God, my maker, as my heavenly father because Jesus Christ paved the way for my access to that God. That's the only way that I have any boldness. And Paul says, let us come boldly. That doesn't mean that you march into God's presence and start demanding stuff. Listen, I I know I'm going a little bit longer. I'm going a little bit longer than what I intended to. But I'm trying to get you to understand something. The mere fact that you even have the ability to get in God's presence, bow your head and act like you're talking to God and ask him for anything and God not kill you, it is a sheer miracle. And yet how often most of us, all of us, approach God and say, God, I just don't understand why you're not doing this this. And why you're not doing this. And I don't understand why I don't have this. And we're insane. That should be the last thing that we should be worrying about. Worry about it. God told you to pray about those things because he cares. But why don't you start with Father? God, it's a miracle. I can even call you that. God, thank you. Hallowed be thy name. Lord, I thank you for being holy, but allowing me to even come into your presence. You King Charles? Hey, I I really would like for you to put a Mercedes Benz in, in my driveway. As a matter of fact, you owe me. Oh, you see the difference in the attitude? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Here's a situation in Luke chapter 11. Here's a, here's a situation in Luke chapter 11 to where a simple friendship couldn't overcome the difficulties. Well, me and God, were just buddies. Well, that's why you're not going to be able to get many prayers answered. Hey, if you just got saved yesterday, which I don't think anybody in here has, but if you just got saved yesterday and that's all you know, okay, but listen as quickly as you can. You need to understand That God that you're dealing with is the God who has the ability. He has the ability to put you in hell. And he didn't because you trusted his son. Listen, that should not vaunt you up. That should not puff you up and make you proud in his presence. What that should do is induce an attitude of great humility, great gratitude. God, thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can tell you this, even if you don't get everything that you're praying for, you'll have some good fellowship. You'll have some good fellowship. Father, Lord, I pray you take these things, God, that have been said tonight, God, and just use them for your glory and honor, Lord. I pray it was clear. God, I, I, I pray, God, Lord, help us, God, Lord. We're careless a lot of times, but God, Lord, just in our own ignorance, God, Lord, we forget, Lord, who we're dealing with, but we thank you, God, for being gracious with us anyway, God, I'd be lying if I said, God, Lord, that I lived up, God, to everything that I've said tonight. Lord, I, I prayed, Lord, I don't give that impression. But, God, at the same time, Lord, I know these things are true because I just see them here in the Scripture, God. And I know you're right. And, God, Lord, we, we so often live by what we see, Lord, not what we... We don't, we don't live by faith, God. We don't live by what we see in the Scripture, Lord. We live by what we feel, God, I pray you help us, Lord, to become more in line, God, Lord, with what the Scripture says, God, regarding our prayer life. Lord, help us, Lord, with these things. God, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray.